This is Space Time, Series 25, Episode 141, for broadcast on the 28th of December 2022. Coming up on Space Time, an independent investigation underway into a Vegas Sea rocket failure during launch, a violent leak threatens the spaceworthiness of a Soyuz capsule at the International Space Station, and the space station forced to undertake an emergency avoidance maneuver to keep out of the way of a piece of massive space junk. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. The European Space Agency has suspended all Vega flights and have established an independent board of inquiry following the failure of a Vega C rocket during its ascent to orbit. The ill-fated mission was only the second flight for the new Vega C and its first commercial launch. The new rocket had undertaken a successful maiden flight back in July. The mission from the European Space Agency's Kourou spaceport in French Guiana began smoothly enough, with a spectacular nighttime launch into the warm black tropical skies. Seven, six, cinq, quatre, trois, deux, un, top. Allumage B120, décollage. La propulsion, la propulsion est nominale, le pilotage est calme. Le pilotage est calme, la trajectoire est nominale. Acquisition de la télémesure par la station de Saint-Jean. Paramètres bord sont nominaux. How fantastic to see Vegas C roaring across that equatorial sky. Yet again, one can't take one's eyes off her. It's so impressive, like a boil of light grumbling across the jungle. This is, of course, the second launch of Vegas C, Europe's new launcher, and it has just successfully completed liftoff with players Neo 5 and 6 on board. These two satellites, designed by Airbus Defence and Space, are the 119th and 120th to lift off on a Vega launcher. What are the main stages of the flight we should be looking out for in the next few minutes? So in a little less than one minute, the P-130 first stage will have finished its job and it will separate from the launcher. This is the the second flight of this P-120 stage uh, following the the maiden flight and it will also be used on on Ariane 6 later on. It's always uh, incredible to see the, the liftoff. There we go. Separation du P120 et allumage du Zephyro 40. There we have it. The separation of the P120. Well, he, the DDO has just confirmed the separation of the first stage. So if I've understood correctly, the P120, uh, David, is just one of the new features of this new launcher. Am I right? Yes. So besides this uh, first stage, uh, the second and the fourth stages, so the Zephyro 40 and the Avum, have also been improved. Increasing their propellant capacity and, and therefore the, the overall launcher performance. And also, very important, the fairing volume has been increased, allowing the launcher to, to accommodate uh, larger satellites. Well, Vega C is starting to lighten its weight and separate from its first stage, the P120. What is the next step for the European launcher? So, in a few seconds, uh, the Zephyro 40 stage uh, will have finished, finished also its job and it will also separate from the launcher. And the third stage, the set nine, will ignite and continue the mission. The Vegas's new solid rocket first stage engine performed nominally, propelling the two satellite payload towards orbit. 
However, following Miko, main engine cutoff, stage separation and second stage ignition, communications with the rocket was suddenly lost and the launch vehicle began to deviate off course, rapidly losing altitude. At the time, the flight was already over 100 kilometers in altitude and some 900 kilometers downrange over the North Atlantic Ocean. Um, we see that there's a problem with the, the trajectory. David, can you tell us? Yes, so there seems to be a, an issue with, uh, with the launcher, yes. So we stand by to, to get more information. So could you tell us exactly? We can see on the, the, the graph in front of us, we can see that the trajectory, it seems to be going maybe, is it going off course? You, can you tell me? No. Yes, yes, indeed, the, the altitude, it seems uh, to be lower than expected. So the altitude, we're at 107 kilometers. Have you got any news from us from Kuru in your earpiece? No, not for the time being. Uh... In this type of situation, what, what, how would you interpret this? What, what might have happened? What could happen? Okay, for the time being, um, we're, we're waiting to get uh, more precise information on... Sorry, David, you were saying you're still waiting for news in your earpiece, is that That's right? That's right, yeah. We can see the DDO, they seem very focused and still concentrated, trying to work out the problem. The French space agency Kines was forced to abort the mission and initiate a self-destruct order, blowing up the rocket and its multi-million dollar payload, a pair of Earth observation satellites built by Airbus. The Pleiades Neo 5 and 6 spacecraft were meant to join the Pleiades Neo constellation, undertaking high-resolution imagery of the planet. In your long career, have you already um, had a, a problem such as this, perhaps? Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, there, is, uh, there have been uh, issues before, yes. Okay. À tous de DDO, suite à accident lanceur, que tous les moyens restent activés pour une mise en configuration d'arrêt de la base de lancement. What does that mean, David? What has uh, the DDO just announced to us? Yeah, so the DDO announced that there was indeed a, an issue with the, with the launcher, and so uh, everybody's uh, standing by to on the launch base to to see what uh, the exact what the next situation step is. is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The failure appears to have involved the Italian-built Zephyro 42nd stage. It marks the third failure in nine launches for the Vega rocket. This launch was originally slated to fly back in November, but it was delayed due to issues with the Vega C's new payload fairings. Ariane Space Chief Executive Stephen Israel says the launch failure was unrelated to that issue. He says the flight data will be analysed as part of the inquiry, which will be co-led by the European Space Agency and Ariane Space. So um, after the liftoff and and the nominal uh, the nominal uh, initiation of the P hundred and twenty C, which is the first stage of the Vega, uh, and under pressure has been observed on the Zephyro forty, which is the second stage of the Vega. And after this under pressure, we have observed the deviation of the trajectory and a very strong anomaly. So uh, unfortunately, we can say that the mission is uh, lost. And uh, I want to deeply apologize towards our customer, uh, Playan Neo and Airbus Defense and Space for uh, this uh, failure tonight. And we will now have to work with all our partners uh, to better understand why uh, the Zephyro 40 uh, has not uh, worked properly tonight, uh, triggering the failure of the mission. So we are going now immediately with all the teams, with our prime view, and uh, all the partners to uh, study uh, what has happened tonight. And I really apologize for this uh, 
anomalie. Israël further added that neither the Ariane 5 or the new Ariane 6 programs are impacted by this failure. But with only two Ariane 5 launch vehicles left in the manifest and the Ariane 6 not expected to undertake its maiden flight until later next year, Europe is now left without an independent means of accessing space. The European Union won't use Russian Soyuz rockets because of the sanctions imposed on Moscow in the wake of the Kremlin's invasion of Ukraine, and so that leaves the United States in the box seat, at least until the Vegasy is returned to flight status. This is space time. Still to come, a violent leak threatens the spaceworthiness of a Soyuz capsule docked to the International Space Station. And the space station forced to undertake emergency maneuvers to avoid a massive piece of space junk. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Okay, time to take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, NordVPN. You know, you may be wondering just how NordVPN can help you. Well, the answer is simple. NordVPN provides a secure and private connection to the internet, and that allows you and your family to browse safely without worrying about your data being intercepted or monitored. It also hides your IP address and your location so that no one can track you or your loved ones online. Furthermore, it encrypts your traffic so that even if someone were to be able to intercept it, they still wouldn't be able to read it or use it in any way. And using NordVPN is really easy. All you need to do is purchase a subscription from the website or use the app. Download the client on whatever device you want protected, Windows, Mac, Android, OS, whatever, and then connect with just one click. You'll then be connected by way of an encrypted tunnel directly through NordVPN servers located all around the world, giving you maximum privacy and security while browsing online. Plus, there are heaps of other features, like double encryption protocols for added protection, as well as dedicated IP addresses. So, like us here at Spacetime, you really should be using NordVPN. Using NordVPN gives you peace of mind, knowing you and your family are safe while browsing online. It provides enhanced privacy and security measures not found elsewhere. Plus, it's all super easy and fast to set up, making getting started almost effortless. So why wait? Get yourself the extra digital protection that you need today with this powerful VPN service provider now available at an affordable price. Visit our URL, nordvpn.com slash stuartgary, and check out our special offers, which make it even more affordable to be safe online. Now, once again, the URL is nordvpn.com slash stuartgary. Start protecting yourself and your family from cyber threats today with just a few clicks. And of course, you'll find the URL details in the show notes and on our website. And now, it's back to our show. You're listening to Space Time with Stuart Gary. The Russian Federal Space Agency at Roscosmos are trying to determine if the Soyuz MS-22 spacecraft will be safe to return crew to Earth after suddenly springing a violent coolant leak. The spacecraft, which is docked to the Razvet module of the International Space Station, suddenly started spewing what appears to be ammonia coolant into space just as two Russian cosmonauts were about to begin a planned seven-hour spacewalk to relocate a radiator from one Russian module to another. ...coming out of the uh, Soyuz MS-22 vehicle that is attached to the Razvet module on the Earth-facing side of the Russian segment of the International Space Station. We do not know what the source of this uh, 
stream of particles is at the point. At this point, uh, there is uh, discussions that are ongoing. Uh, first, uh, to make sure that the safety of the two spacewalkers is not compromised in any way, and then uh, to determine uh, what impact, if any, this might have on the integrity of that Soyuz vehicle. Neither NASA nor Roscosmos have specified what the coolant was, but ammonia, a common spacecraft coolant, can be highly corrosive to many metals. Russian mission managers knew there was a problem when an alarm in the Soyuz diagnostic system suddenly went off, indicating a pressure drop in the coolant system. They then spotted a stream of fluid and particles flowing from the Soyuz on the live video feed and quickly cancelled the spacewalk. Dramatic NASA TV images showed white particles resembling snowflakes streaming from the aft section of the Soyuz. The leak quickly caused the temperature in the cockpit section of the Soyuz to rise to 30 degrees Celsius, while the temperature in its equipment section initially soared to over 40 degrees before dropping back to 30 after mission managers activated additional cooling systems. Cosmonauts used ventilators in the Russian section of the space station to blow cold air into the capsule, reducing temperature in the cockpit back down at comfortable levels. An external inspection of the spacecraft using a camera on one of the space station's robotic arms helped identify the location of the coolant leak to a 0.8mm hole in the outer skin of an instrument and equipment casing on one of the Soyuz external radiators. The leak continued to flow for about three hours until the coolant supply inside was exhausted. Roscosmos say tests of the ship's control systems determined that they weren't affected by the leak, and no other spacecraft near the Soyuz appears to have been damaged. Russian engineers ordered the Soyuz to fire up its main thrusters just for a short burst to ensure that all systems were nominal. Mission managers at Star City just outside Moscow are now deciding whether the Soyuz MS-22 will be safe for cosmonauts to use for the return trip to Earth in March, or whether it should be discarded and a replacement Soyuz sent up instead. Roscosmos says the next spacecraft, the Soyuz MS-23, has already undergone some of its tests in preparation for its launch in March. But those could be expedited if necessary, and the spacecraft sent up early without a crew. Russia have suffered a string of problems with leaks and equipment malfunctions aboard the International Space Station or spacecraft that are docked to it and most of these have been put down to quality control issues. However, Roscosmos claimed this latest leak may have been caused by a micrometeoroid impact or a tiny piece of space junk hitting the capsule. But without a close-up inspection, we'll never know. This is space time. Still to come, the International Space Station forced to undertake an emergency manoeuvre in order to avoid space junk. And later in the science report... Fossils of a new species of non-avian predatory dinosaur discovered in Mongolia. All that and more still to come on Space Time. NASA have cancelled a planned spacewalk and undertaken an emergency manoeuvre to move the International Space Station out of the way of a piece of Russian space junk heading in their direction. The three and a half metre wide spent frigate upper stage, used on Soyuz and Proton rockets, was predicted to pass within half a kilometre of the orbiting outpost, far too close for comfort, triggering the highest level red alert. 
The incident happened after two Expedition 68 crew members successfully completed the first of two EVAs or extravehicular activities to increase the orbiting outpost's power output. The seven-hour and five-minute spacewalk successfully installed one of the new iRosa rollout solar arrays, which were recently transported to the space station. The team also disconnected a cable to ensure the 1B channel could be reactivated, and they released several bolts for the upcoming installation of another iRosa solar array, this one on the 4A power channel on the port truss. When it's installed, it'll be the fourth of six iRosa solar panels that are being added. This report from NASA TV. Since its inception, the International Space Station has been powered by large, heavy, and complex solar panels. But as expected, these panels have slowly degraded over time. As a part of an experiment, the station's robotic arm unfurled the first ROSA, or Rollout Solar Array, in 2017, testing a new and unique concept. Instead of a rigid solar panel, ROSA was crafted from a composite carbon fiber, containing an array of solar cells that can be deployed and retracted similar to a tape measure, using stored strain energy of the material. ROSA was also lightweight and generated power with more efficiency. Now, larger versions of ROSA technology, known as iROSA, are being installed on the station permanently through a series of launches and spacewalks. The arrays augment the existing power supply and restore power to previous levels when the original arrays were installed. ROSA technology is also an important part of future exploration. It will serve as a power source for Gateway, the planned multi-purpose outpost orbiting the moon, ROSA, proven on the space station, and powering its way to the moon and beyond our planet's reach. The new panels will increase the space station's solar power capacity by 30% from 160 up to 215 kilowatts. However, the planned second spacewalk to install that fourth array was postponed after mission managers determined that a large section of Russian space junk, which they had been tracking for several days, was likely to pass dangerously close to the space station. Mission managers in Moscow used the thrusters on one of the Dock Progress cargo ships to safely manoeuvre the space station out of the way of the spent rocket stage. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. Scientists have found that a common type 2 diabetes drug, metformin, is associated with a 30% reduction in the risk of joint replacements. A report in the Canadian Medical Association Journal compared some 20,000 people with type 2 diabetes who took metformin with the same number of participants with type 2 diabetes who didn't take the drug. Researchers found that those who did take the drug had a lower risk of needing knee or hip replacements. They say more information is now needed in order to determine whether metformin can be used to treat osteoarthritis, a condition which currently has no effective medications. Paleontologists have discovered the fossils of a new species of non-avian predatory dinosaur that used to dive into water to find its food. The remains were uncovered in Lake Cretaceous sandstone at a dig site in Mongolia. 
A report in the journal Communications Biology claims the small carnivorous theropod, named Natovenator polydontus, meaning swimming hunter with many teeth, walked on two legs and was semi-aquatic. It had a large streamlined body similar to that of modern-day diving birds and a noodle neck like a goose. The authors say the unusually high number of teeth it had in relation to the size of its jaw suggests that it probably ate fish or insects. New findings by the University of South Australia suggest that stressed students might want to add walnuts to their daily diet in the weeks leading up to their next exam. A clinical trial reported in the journal Nutrients showed that undergraduate students showed positive effects from walnut consumption both on self-reported measures of mental health and wider biomarkers of general health. The study suggests that walnuts may counteract the effects of academic stress on gut microbes during periods of stress, especially for females. However, it's also important to note that this study was funded by the California Walnut Commission. New Twitter owner Elon Musk's revelations showing how deeply the FBI secretly manipulated Twitter in order to prevent free speech and control the information the general public were getting prior to an election has provided a unique insight into how intelligence agencies around the world control what you're allowed to know and what they don't want you to know. And of course, the Twitter files are not an isolated case, with Facebook boss Mark Zuckerberg also admitting the FBI were instructing them what to censor and who to block out as well. Now they're exposed, the social media giants claim not getting the full picture was for the public good. And it would seem the general public agree. A Pew Research study shows that in 19 countries surveyed, an average of 57% of people thought social media was good for democracy. In Singapore, the figure was as high as 76%, while in Sweden it was 66%. In most other countries, including Japan, Germany and Italy, it was in the mid-50s. The United Kingdom saw about 50% of people say it was a good thing, while 48% said it was bad and 2% were undecided. Canada was similar with 49% good, 47% bad and the rest sitting on the fence. But Australia went the other way, with 50% of people thinking social media was bad for democracy and 48% thinking it was a good thing. In France, 51% said it was bad, while in the Netherlands it was 54%. But the standout was the United States, where 64% of people surveyed now believe social media was bad for democracy. And with new revelations of the Twitter files continuing to expose the level of manipulation involved, Who can blame them? There have been changes taking place at Facebook's parent company Meta, which has apparently spent millions developing clever personal devices that no one really wants or knows what to do with. With the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Zaharov-Royt from ITY.com. In the world of Meta, which also uh, makes the Oculus Quest Pro headset, I saw a fascinating article on Gizmodo called Meta's Not Giving Up on the Metaverse Just Yet. Now, this comes hot on the heels of John Carmack, the co-creator of the famous game Doom, saying this is the end of his decade in VR. He's quit. Meta, but there's also a blog post from Andrew Bosworth, the CTO and head of Reality Labs, which is the division within Meta that is looking after virtual reality. And he says, you know, why we still believe in the future. And he talks about they've had a very tough year. I mean, part of the problem is they've got a 
MetaQuest Pro headset, which is technically advanced beyond belief. Very, very impressive. But, you know, there isn't really any super incredibly needful use case for this headset that can do elements of augmented reality. And, you know, you can join people together to work. It looks very cool. You, know, you can be handling various objects in the air in front of you. You can make them bigger and smaller. You could be looking at a, uh, a room in a house. You could be drawing doorways and adding things virtually to this room. But None of those things are really absolutely killer applications. And part of the problem is that Meta lost nearly 10 billion US dollars on this division over the past year, which is a huge amount of money to lose. So for me, VR is one aspect of the puzzle. It's one aspect that cuts you off from the rest of the world. Yes, it allows you to play uh, against other people in this virtual space, but I think the real killer application is going to be what's known as augmented reality or mixed reality. This is where you've got uh, digital objects appearing on top of real world items and the the best sort of, uh, the one use case that people can really identify with and understand, and we even saw it in the very first Terminator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger back in 84, was when you've got information appearing beside people. So you're at a yeah, party. Exactly and, right. You know, the camera recognizes a person and oh that's Jill I met her six months ago. Yeah, she's or or that they've got three kids, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. That's right. And, and their kids' names are such and such and or you know, just even your next door neighbor that you don't spend much time with and you you want to know, you want to remember what was the last thing you spoke about them with. And, you know, you've got this headset, which is put into a pair of glasses that is really unobtrusive and it's not obviously recording, that is capturing every aspect of your life. There's this new Mac search engine called Rewind. They're calling it the search engine for your life and it's able to record uh, a lot of the interactions you do on Zoom and in other areas. You know, that is something that is trying to be useful to help you remember things about your life. Now, when you have a headset that is recording everything that you're doing, at least when you want it to, you know, you'll be able to uh, remember where you put the keys. You'll be able to quickly sort out arguments over who said what, where, and when. So, you know, the world has these great technological ideas, but we're still trying to figure out how to make best use of them. And, you know, for most people, I mean, I should try to show them various things on their phone that they didn't know was there, but make life on your smartphone so much easier. And I see most people are still using their smartphones as though they were launched in 2007 with the iPhone or 2008 with the very first Android smartphones. They're not using their smartphones in a way that a digital native, a very young kid getting their first phone or iPad would be able to use their devices effortlessly. If you've ever seen children using iPads, it's very different to the way that adults use them. What's the difference? The kids know all the gestures. They're happy to talk to their devices you know, the older people are using keyboards and mice and they're sort of stuck in that mindset. Whereas with kids, you know, they're able to swipe up, swipe down, swipe left. They know how to go between apps. They know how to do various things that anybody can do. But most people don't read the tips or the help or they don't follow the keynotes or they don't follow people on YouTube that are teaching this sort of stuff. Just getting back to the Twitter files, are you surprised at how deeply in bed with Twitter the FBI was and how carefully they were manipulating the whole thing? I mean... They had something like 88 agents working at Twitter. Well, sure. I mean, absolutely. It's it's really uh, a worry when you've got uh, government so deeply entrenched into what is meant to be an app that, uh, I mean, when Twitter first started, I remember people at Twitter talking about this was an app for the free speech wing of the free speech party. And then when you have government and government agencies so deeply embedded in an organization that it is sending off specific Twitter accounts to be blocked and the FBI is asking for people to be looked up simply because they made a political joke. I mean, are we living in uh, the free Western world or are we living in some sort of uh, alternate black mirror reality dystopia? And of course, if all this is happening at Twitter, 
then what the heck is happening at Facebook and Google and Instagram and YouTube? I mean, are all of our conversations being listened to on, uh, you know, WhatsApp Messenger and Facebook Messenger and iMessage and Skype? You know, you really do have to wonder what's going on. They um, say these sort of things are only happening in Russia with the FSB or in, in China, but uh, it shows that they're not happening here in the West as well. Yeah, we're definitely living in uh, very unusual, very interesting times. Uh, with all of that, That's Alex Harovroyd from ity.com. And that's the show for now. Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimewithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 